America will never be what it is to be unless the slave and the slave master realize that they are both slaves. And it's so important for us, so important for us to find our voice, because in finding our voice, we're able to then really connect with the other and understand the other because we know who we are. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. On today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I talk with a man who is a fascinating mix of things. This is one of my favorite things about him. John Lee Gaston White is a poet, a storyteller, a tech hybrid investor, and he's working on a book right now about what it was like to grow up Black in America and about how we pass our trauma through generations. He says that the way to reimagine America is by reimagining ourselves. And I love that John is so willing to go first. I found this conversation to be deeply convicting in a wonderful way. Also really raw. A note about today's conversation is that we actually had this conversation on the day the insurrection happened at the Capitol. So you'll hear in John's voice and in mine, the the sort of presence, the, the rawness of the topics that we're covering. And you'll actually hear me get emotional for the first time ever on a podcast episode. I think I was just feeling everything that was happening in the world and feeling really convicted myself. You're going to love so many of the things that John has to say. And and one of the best parts about John is his ability to talk about political and social topics in a way that is poetic and beautiful and just incredibly disarming and invitational. So again, I know you're going to love this conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, let's get started. All right. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, John White. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ellie. Well, thanks for being here. I'm going to start with the question that we always start with on this show, which is, what does it mean to you to find your voice? Mm, Everything. Um, I think finding your voice is finding your purpose, and finding your voice is finding your calling, and finding your voice is is knowing who you are, and knowing this key word that I love, knowing thyself. Hmm. That's good. You and I are talking on January 7th. This episode won't be published for a couple of weeks, but it feels impossible to me to have this conversation, especially with you, when you and I have been working together in a professional capacity, and I know so many of the things that you're passionate about. It feels impossible to have this conversation without talking about what's going on in the world right now. So I'm curious how you're doing, how you're really doing. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. On one side, I am sort of heartbroken to see this come to bear in our country, to see Mm -hmm. what many of us have been screaming about for generations, that the ugly underbelly of America will show itself. And at some point, it will show itself not 
on the necks, on the bodies, uh, in the souls and the hearts of people of color and women and gays and lesbians and people of color and, and those that are marginalized, those are the least of these, those that live in the shadows. But at some point, it will show its its sort of ugly head for all of us to see. And black and white will be disappointed by it. And I think that's what we're seeing now. So that breaks my heart. On the other side of the coin, it's like, I knew this was going to happen. I knew that um, white supremacy and patriarchy was always here and that evil was always here and that it would manifest itself in this way when President Trump came into office and even before that, you know. Yeah, we we are seeing the delicate balance of our democracy. Hmm. We are seeing that, you know, the civil rights that we kind of piecemeal put together with amendment after amendment, but never really codified in the Constitution. We're seeing the, the, the phrase of that. And I think what this tells us is that it's time for us to really get in gear to understand that white domestic terrorism, hate, has to be rooted out at all costs. Yeah. Um, has to be rooted out in our corporations, has to be rooted out in our governmental structures, have, has to be rooted out in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. And that it's finally time for us to, as I like to say, and it's time, time for us to all sit at the table and truly reimagine America for the first time. So can you talk a little bit about more what that looks like on a practical level? Because I don't know about people who are listening and who knows, you know, by the time you're listening to this, I don't know what else will be going on in the world. But today, all day, I've been in back-to-back meetings and podcast interviews, and I've just been feeling like I don't, I don't actually know what to do. It feels so wrong to just go about my life, business as usual, and yet what else am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to cancel everything and sit here? Am I, am I supposed to, I guess I've been sort of coaching myself to like, don't lose heart and, you know, believe in the goodness of people and trust that the, whatever work I am doing, that that still matters. But what would you say to me and to those of us who are listening about like, what are, what is our role? I think your role is to find your voice. Hmm. And in finding your voice, I think you then connect with me and you understand me and you understand what I have been saying and what many of us that have gone on before us have been saying. And that is that we have a problem. And if that, you know, we all have a problem. Hmm. I, I say often that America will never be what it is to be unless the slave and the slave master realize that they are both slaves. Wow. And it's so important for us, so important for us to find our voice, because in finding our voice, we're able to then really connect with the other and understand the other because we know who we are. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the important part. The, the, the problem with I think many Americans is that we don't know who we are and therefore we're disconnected from most of society. We live in bubbles. And oftentimes when we see things like what occurred uh, yesterday in the halls of our, of our, of our capital in the halls of the people's house, 
our bubbles burst and then we're looking up, you know, for for some assistance, for some help. And then we retreat back into, you know, uh, what we what we know instead of retreating back into what we don't know and asking the question why. Hmm. And so if you don't know why those people stormed into those buildings, that's a problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you don't know why people feel like this is their country, but it's not my country, that's a problem. Yeah. if, If you don't know, you know, the words and the catchphrases that incite violence, not just violence where someone is picking up, you know, a stick and hitting you, right? But but the violence of the mind, hmm. the violence of the soul that can inflict pain on you through policies, yeah. through systems, through structures, which manifest themselves into what we see today. And we didn't get here just through President Trump. Right. We got here through a long line of viciousness and quiet white supremacist acts, you know, very quiet, patriarchal sort of sort of acts. And the reason why I I bring those two together, white supremacy and patriarchy, is because any country that disregards women in the way that we do, that's a problem. Yeah. And. Any country that doesn't want to see color and doesn't want to talk about slavery and doesn't want to wrestle with the stain that has been occurred at the very founding, before the very founding of our nation, that's a problem. And so at at the end of the day, everybody, black, white, you know, it, it doesn't matter your color. You have to find your voice. You have to know yourself. You have to go and do the work. And then and only then can you look at the nation and call it back to itself because we mirror the nation and the nation mirrors us. That's so healing for me. It, it helps. It really does help me bring it back down to earth, it, you know, rather than seeing these problems as so much bigger than me and so far beyond me that it, it, I tend to feel helpless. Like there's just nothing I could do to even touch it you know, watching unfold yesterday, what unfolded yesterday. And, and also the other thing that comes up for me is the bombing that happened in Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I'm living now on Christmas day, Christmas morning. I'm going to ask you a question that to, to which the answer is obvious, but I want to give you space to state it plainly. Those two events, along with an innumerable other events that I could list, but those two events, what happened yesterday at the Capitol and that bombing, why are these issues, what is the connection to race? Can you talk about that? The connection to race is that in everybody's home, we are mere seconds away from bombs going off. Whether it be the loss of our home due to financial insecurity, whether it be you know, the loss of our, our health due to a lack of health care, whether it be a loss of our personhood due to a unjust justice system or, or let's say an unjust imprisonment system, whether it be the loss of our, 
our just our, our well-being because of the lack of emphasis on on mental health and the lack of the ability to just have some semblance of peace and solitude in this nation without being driven to work and work and work. And finally, those two events are tied together because we are mere second, seconds away from the bomb of, you know, America has always thought of itself as a nation that is exceptional. And in that, one could say, that's okay. Why? There's nothing wrong with America thinking that it's better than someone else. But racism is also about power in structures and creating structures through which um, you can dictate what should and should not t- take place from those that you want to keep in their place. Hmm. And so you do it through fear, right? Yeah. And, and so what they were trying to do in Nashville and what they were trying to do in our nation's capital through these acts of, of, of terrorism is to let everyone know, know your place, right? Yeah. There is nowhere that you can go in this nation where we cannot harm you, even on the streets of Nashville on a quiet sort of morning or a late mm-hmm. evening. Know your place. Don't you go out and vote for a black senator. Don't you go out and vote for a Jewish senator. Don't you change the balance of power in this nation such that our structure would be changed in any way. Know your place. And the connection to racism is that racism is about violence. Yeah. And that is what they inflicted upon us. And it is not, it's about violence of the body. It's about violence of the mind. It's about violence of the soul. It is about violence to, to, to everything that determines your trajectory. Even nature is changed by racism, right? Because it, it, it disrupts your equilibrium. Yeah. Right? It, it changes the energy of one's humanity. Everybody is not free. Everyone is off kilter when racism is running amok in any form or fashion. And that connects back to what you said a minute ago, which is just that until everybody is free, nobody is free, that both the slave and the slave master are both slaves, which I think is such an important point. And the other thing I want to linger on for just a minute is this idea of violence that is not physical violence, but that violence, you know, to, to us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I think sometimes we underplay that type of violence and we, we think like we live in the best country in the world because we we don't ever have to deal with attacks like the one that we saw yesterday. Mm. It's I guess I'm not trying to underplay the beauty of living in a country where we can, at least for me, <laughs> uh, with my privilege, for the most part, I can I can assume a sense of safety in my life, mm-hmm. like as in physical safety. But I think even though we underplay that the other types of violence, they actually are, and I think you're getting at this, they're equally destructive to us. Without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. 
I have this this poem that I wrote called Boundless Love. And it talks about how black people in this country have had to find love in ways that no one could ever understand. Mm. So even love is impacted by racism and violence. It, it impacts you, as you said, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, biologically. It, it impacts your, your synapses. It, it controls your, your, you know, your, you know, even you know, how you impact, you know, adrenaline and, and, and all, all these things. But even the, the thing that we most hope, hold dear, which is love, it impacts that. Hmm. And that is what people must understand about, about this, is that I am sitting here a human, a man, someone who wants to love deeply, and, and, and someone who wants to bring up a family and care for my children and pass things on to the next generation. And, and acts of violence in all of these manifestations they impact me. They impacted my father. They impacted my father's father. They impacted his father. They impacted my mother and they impacted my grandmother. They impact all of us. See, the piece about the slave and the slave master, what the slave master does not understand is that they enslave because they have always been a slave, because they didn't know who they are because if you know who you are, why would you need to treat someone else as inferior? As inferior? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Why would you need to? Why would you not write a a woman into a women's rights into the Constitution? Why would you not have them as framers of the nation if you were not a slave? Yeah. Right. And so that's why I keep patriarchy and white supremacy together because both of these things are acts of violence to me. They are both acts of evil to me and they both disrupt all of us in all of the ways that we navigate life as citizens of this nation. So powerful. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here because I wasn't expecting to ask you this, but you mentioned that poem you wrote. And one of the things I have loved about getting to work with you is what a really gifted poet you are. And you and I have worked together on, you know, as, as it relates to work to your book, which we'll talk a little bit more about later in this conversation. How do we get that sort of poetic cadence and rhythm to show up in your prose and still have it be prose and to read like a book. I would love it if you would read a poem for us and, and you can take a minute to find it, whichever one you want to read. I'm open to having you read any poem that you, that is calling to you right now. Are you willing? Sure. Yeah, I can read. I'll, I'll read. I mentioned boundless love. I'll read that. Okay, perfect. And there's another poem that I wrote a long time ago. I wrote at, I wrote when I first heard the news that Kobe Bryant had Mm. been killed and that those three children had been killed and that all of those parents and and the pilot and so forth had been killed. And if you don't mind, I can share that one as well. Yeah, I would love it. So Boundless Love is the first poem that I'll read. Boundless love ripped from history's door, returning no one 
brought together by pain, countless to infinity. A revolution televised with no sound, no script, no pictures, blank pages, pin drops of invisible ink stained by a single paste droplet of a tear. And what emerged from this is only a fingertip of life pushing through for thin air to breathe, devoid of sunlight, secluded from the touch of nature, even a blade of grass, a song, or a chirp from the tiniest blue jay. Through this, we find love. Ships and water, auction blocks and warehouses, wars and civil unrest, broken promises, and even the thief stolen. Profits and plunder, flesh and broken lives, lint and blue jean pockets, trauma and DNA. Through this, we find love. This is our story, the story of black love, boundless love. Hmm. Thank you so much. It's beautiful. You are welcome. And thank you. The second poem that I'll read is, is, is very, very personal to me for a number of reasons. And again, I, I mentioned that I, I wrote this when Kobe passed away, but it mirrors in a way my life and the life of my son and in, in many ways the life of my father. Uh, I called it Basketball the Beautiful and the mm. Boy at the Temple. Death is inevitable for all of us. Nevertheless, it is still hard to face when it comes like this. And yet all that we have is still beautiful. All of it. The now is beautiful. The past is too. And our future is a gift, a time to renew, a light for the darkness. I believe that. Even in death and tragedy, every day here, there is still a loveliness, a message, a voice to listen to, calling us nearer. Our children are gifts, the best of us, only the good, our sacred peace within, our truth, the kernel that we have saved somehow. Our children are all of that and more. The first, the second, the third chance of chances to get it right again. My heart hurts, though. So very sad. Such a tragedy. This death. So many questions. Few answers. But that is the essence of this dream. That as soon as it came, it too can go away. Even in its brokenness, yet its promise unfulfilled. So then we ask what lasts, what stays with us? Well, it is the living, the legacy, all of the compounded actions that keep the dream alive. So the dream that I had yesterday is far more real today. It's been ignited, not to be extinguished. The Pharaoh had a dream. The Pharaoh asked the high priest, what is the meaning of this dream? The high priest failed to answer. The king had a dream. The king asked the council, what is the meaning of this dream? The council failed to answer. The president had a dream. The president asked the Congress, what is the meaning of this dream? The Congress failed to answer. But the boy, the boy with nothing, the boy born of nothing, perhaps, 
The boy relegated to the shadows. The boy cast aside. The boy in search of the crown, of the ring, of the answer. The boy. The boy was the answer to the dream. Mm. And what, what these poems mean for me, but particularly the last poem that I read is that it is often the people in the shadows. It is often the people that we think are nothing, that came from nothing, that are the answer to everything that we've been wanting. And if we take the time, if America takes the time to pull the people up who have been on the bottom and to give them a seat at the table, our nation will change. Mm -hmm. If Americans find their voice, we can reimagine our nation. It is possible, but it takes individual healing. It takes us understanding that the nation is us and we are the nation. And for the nation to be great, we have to be great. And for us to be great, we have to do the work, to quiet our minds, to quiet our spirits, and find our voice. It's so poignant and true and beautiful. And I feel like that phrase that you just said does such a good job of describing what you're trying to do with this book that you're writing. So I'm wondering if we can transition to talk about the book a little bit. I'd love to hear what motivated you. You're, you're so good with words listening to you read that poetry. I just thought we could have done the whole episode of you just reading your poetry. And it's, it's one thing to read a piece of writing, John, and to get it. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? With Mm -hmm. like, to understand what the words are saying. And it's another thing to like experience a reading like that, where I get it in my bones, even if I don't fully get it with my brain. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but writing a book is a little bit of a different experience. So coming from, you know, being so gifted with your words through poetry, what, what made you motivated to turn those words into the form of a book? I thought that I could take what is the very concise and sort of matter of fact nature of building a paragraph or say several paragraphs of poetry and build what I would estimate to be a long poetic essay Mm. in art form that gives bounce to the words in a way that poetry cannot because in long form you can drill down into the code of poetry and reveal uh, the secrets of what's in the poet's heart and mind. And so what I ultimately hope for with this work is that people get a glimpse of, of my life. Hmm. And they get a glimpse of my humanity and that they take one of my tears and that they hold it in the palm of their hand and that they place a magnifying glass on it and they touch it and they feel it and they understand it. Because what I often talk about in this book is that 
For the first time, I cried and I did not wipe away any of my tears. I let them drop as they wanted to drop. Mm-hmm. I wanted to feel them as they emerged from my eyes and as they landed on my finger, as they landed on the page, as they landed on my leg, as I saw them drop and hit the floor. That is what this book is to me. It is a glimpse into my life from the perspective of no judgment, just simply understanding and contextualizing one's life as a mirror back to your life. Yeah. I think this is the beautiful thing about a process like writing. And one of my favorite parts of the work that I get to do is exactly what you're getting at, which is that when you unwrap the layers of a story of any human being story, what you see underneath those layers is, is your own humanity. I mean, I think it's like the, this is the crazy making insanity of violence against others is that there is no such thing as you versus me. You are me. I Mm -hmm. am you. We are, when you peel back the layers, we are the same. And any violence against you is a violence against myself. That's right. So in addition to telling your own personal story, what are some of the themes and like, what are the, I hate to get this um, kind of trivial about it, but like the moral of the story at the end of the book, what are you hoping readers walk away with? I hope that they walk away with that freedom is possible in your life Hmm. and that they see a person truly try to get free and to wrestle with all of the unanswered questions, all of the trauma, all of the pain, all of the heartache, all of the joy and the happiness of their life. And to systemically connect the dots through it all. I, I wrote this from the premise of I wanted to truly figure out how to reimagine America. And what I found out is that I couldn't do that unless I did the work to reimagine myself, hmm. to understand myself, to understand why I make a decision and why I don't to understand what my impulses are and what they are not, to understand desire, to understand intimacy, to understand communication, to understand fear, to understand generational trauma and how that is actually coded within one's DNA and how through healing, through the practice of what I like to say, writing myself into freedom, how I found the beauty, not only in my smile, but I found the beauty in my father's smile. And through that, I was able to, I think, become a better person, become a better father, become a better partner, become a better citizen, become better. Hmm. Beautiful. I love that phrase, writing myself into freedom. Yes. More of us need to do that, write ourselves into freedom. Yes. And, you know, there is one of the things I'll share with you that I think is important for today. It is this. I talk about the book in in this way, and I think people will, I'll give them a a tidbit of, of what they will see in this. I talk about and I say and I write, 
I am the nation and the nation is me. Black, delicate, human, yearning for love and truth as my only weapon. I am in search of the beginning to heal, to reimagine myself so that I can be a mirror back to me and then and only then to see myself in you and you in me. I am fighting within myself for myself to love, to be loved, and to become love. My core, my root, my axis is this. How do I face my trauma, hopes, and dreams by discovering the innocence of my childhood again? By seeing the child in you too, and then seeing the childhood, the innocence of the nation. My challenge is that doing this is hard work, unsettling work. But I've decided to write myself into freedom, to work myself into freedom, to heal myself into freedom, to die to my old self, to be reborn anew and refreshed into my new self. My whole self, knowing and acknowledging my voice, my calling, my purpose. To reimagine myself into freedom and to speak only from this place about the reimagined America. My cross to bear. I ask then the reader to tell me about your journey. Your cross that you bear to freedom because we too are the nation. Each of our individual eyes comprise the nation. Hear me as I tell this story. And then once you hear me and you heal yourself, reimagine yourself. Let's reimagine America together. Oh my God, John, that is so beautiful. That is, I'm going to go back and listen to that many times. (laughs) Thank you. You can't see me, but I'm, I feel like giving a standing ovation. I'm, I'm, it's making me emotional. Thank you, Ellie. I want to, I just want to wrap up there. I feel like there's just no possible stronger way we could end this conversation unless there's anything else that you want to say to our listeners that I haven't asked you about yet. No, I, I want to thank you for the honor and the privilege to, to spend time with you today um, and to share a bit about uh, my story and my work and to share a little bit about my humanity. Hmm. And, uh, and I hope that the deep yearning that I have for myself and that I have for this nation, my hope is that in my children's generation, that the new America emerges. Hmm. And my hope is that everybody who listens to this, that they are transformed by it, back into themselves, such that we can go back to the innocence of our childhood again, to reimagine ourselves, to heal ourselves, and from that place to be all that we want to be, all that we ought to be, all that we can be, all that we shall be, so that our nation stands on solid ground. Amen. 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 And let it be. John, thank you so much. I feel so honored to have had this conversation with you and it seems to be coming at the perfect time as well. I have never even gotten this emotional on a podcast episode before. And I just feel like your words are coming at the perfect time. And I know they're, 
they feel healing to me and I know they will to our listeners too. So thank you for the gift of your words. Thank you for using your voice today and thank you for spending your time with us. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.